Last week, we talked with an international pop rock charting musician about twists and turns of being an entrepreneur inside and outside of the nonprofit space. This week, we're talking about the Legacy Flywheel. After over a decade of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job change and a couple pivots in the for-profit leadership later? We're on the search to get that question answered. If you're a leader who cares deeply about supporting nonprofits from the inside or from the outside, this podcast is for you. We believe that the world needs what you are going to leave behind, and it's our passion to help you find that thing and build it. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. Welcome back to the podcast. We are so excited because today Ted and I get to talk about something that we've been thinking about and implementing and sharing with other people, just something that's been really on our hearts and on our minds as we recognize the importance of not only building a legacy, but understanding how to build an organization so that it runs well and actually gets better over time. So today we're talking about uh, our legacy flywheel. So Ted, I want to throw this straight over to you. First, can you explain what a flywheel is um, and then why it matters? Yeah. So uh, in engineering and in, in, in building engines, I remember small engines class learning about what a flywheel is and really what it does is it converts those bursts of energy that happen in an engine into a rotational kind of long lasting energy that propels the car forward. And so it's it's literally a wheel, usually kind of a heavy disc. And as the engine kind of hits like a burst of en- uh, energy from the explosion that happens inside the pistons or whatever, <laughs> I'm not an engineer, uh, it turns it into this. It, it actually has inertia and momentum and it carries forward. And so we've recognized that this is true for organizations, too. You can have bursts of energy. You can have little bits of like, hey, we're going to push on this thing for a while. But unless it converts into momentum that can sustain over a long period of time, it just ends up being a flash in the pan. And we, if you're building a legacy, a flash in the pan is not exciting. No, <laughs> it's not exciting. And not only that, but it's tiring. Absolutely. Like I know working within organizations and with other leaders that sometimes there's this idea of, oh, we just need to push on this for a few days, a few weeks, maybe a few months. We need to push on this one thing and you start to build momentum there. But sometimes ends up being this thing where it's like push, get momentum and the momentum dies. Push on the next thing, get momentum and the momentum dies. And it becomes this cycle that's almost like um, instead of a functional wheel, it becomes kind of like a like a lopsided flat tire that kind of goes for a moment, but then the friction, just the friction of work and of life and the friction of trying to keep this thing going, it just slows down and it feels like you're constantly pushing um, like a boulder uphill. Yeah, we don't want our organizations to function like a Flintstones car that you have to like literally (laughs) push with your feet to move these big giant cement wheels. (laughs) You want it to actually function and gain momentum over time Mm -hmm. so your organization can do bigger and better things. Yeah. So this is so important because we've seen working with people and sometimes this is massive organization. Sometimes it's just um, right now, maybe you're getting started with your idea. Maybe you're an entrepreneur and you're like, I want to have some sort of social uh, enterprise that kind of stems off this, whatever it is. Um, Or maybe you're the head of the organization or maybe you're a leader within 
the organization. Uh, Whatever it is, it's so important to not only be able to get that momentum, but be able to really bring that momentum into the future and then build it over time. Um, I've noticed in our own lives, there have been times that we'll see momentum happen and then just kind of dies out over time. And after a few times to that cycle, it's like, man, do I really want to put more energy into this again? Mm -hmm. And not having something functioning well can either, I mean, it just erodes trust over time. Mm -hmm. And this applies to all sorts of stuff, of course. I mean, we're going to be talking about organizations, but I mean, we've done it with our kids' school. We've done it with our home life. We've done, uh, we've worked this flywheel in lots of different ways. And so we're just going to kind of jump in and talk a little bit about what, what is the legacy flywheel, Lisa, and how does it work? Yeah. So within Legacy Builders, we call it our legacy flywheel, um, partly because it's legacy. So it applies to whatever it is that you're trying to build and what you're trying to to grow. Today, we're talking about organizations in particular. Um, But our flywheel really has three main parts that we're looking at. And that's the organization ability to execute. Like you have to have that kind of in place first. And then comes the organizational strength. Um, If you have execution without strength, then you kind of end up trying to execute and trying to execute and trying to execute, but you don't have anything for it to get into. And then from strength, you have to move into organizational trust because you've gotten the ability to execute, you've built up the strength. But then if you're not showing that you're trustworthy as an organization, then that really, I mean, that just stops everything dead in its tracks. And then from the organization ability or the organizational trust, that goes into more of an ability to execute. Um, And it's not just the parts individually, but it's really learning how to connect these three different things to each other. So that as you're communicating about it, and as you're thinking about it, and as you're realizing in this season, we need to push really hard on our ability to execute. Or maybe you're like, man, I have execution down, I have some strength down, but the trust isn't there. Maybe you have to push really hard on trust, but if you don't know what the next thing kind of coming up is, um, then you're going to get some momentum in the short term, but you need to constantly be thinking as a leader at whatever level you're at, how can I bring what we're doing now into the next phase so that we can continue to to build on the momentum? In each phase, you tend to get you, you get something out of that phase and then learning how to leverage that thing that you got out of that phase into the next phase is really the trick with this. But let's just camp for a second on the ability to execute. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where a lot of people, I think, just generally best practices, businesses, organizations in general, talk about this a lot and can sometimes get kind of stuck in a rut here mm-hmm. and on just kind of spin this little piece of the flywheel, but it doesn't quite get the momentum going. But uh Talk a little bit, Lisa, about the ability to execute. The ability to execute is huge because you have to be able to show what it is that you want to be doing and talk about it. But you also have to say, uh, we have this vision and here are the resources and here's how we're going to utilize them. Um, Typically, this is when you start getting followers on. So when we're talking about the ability to execute, you have your followers in place You start casting the vision and you start saying, hey, here's what we're going to do. Here's how it's going to work. Here's why we're doing this. And here's what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And then really identifying what resources you have available. And from what I've seen in a ton of organizations is this becomes its own little mini flywheel and organizations get stuck on this. They think I need followers, more vision, more resources, more followers, more vision, more resources. And that works to an extent, but it's kind of like riding a bike but without the different gears. Hmm. Like for every time the the wheel goes around, you have to do a whole rotation pedaling. 
And after a while, it gets exhausting. I remember going from like a 10 speed bike down to trying to ride one that didn't have gears. And I was like, this is exhausting. How did I do this? It's so much more work. Poor (laughs) kids. Of course, I weighed less and had a little bit more energy to. (laughs) Yeah, I was also like 10. But But really, that followers, um, that's your ability to execute. You have to have people on board with what you're doing. To get them on board, you have to have a strong and a clear vision. Um, and those resources are really important. And we know the resources, they're time, money, people. Yep. That's the resources. And it's hard to, cause you want to be able to grow those resources. Right. And so a, a lot of people will then turn right around and say, okay, we've got some resources. Let's use these resources to get followers. But this is where the other two thirds of the flywheel become really important <laughs> mm-hmm. because if you just go straight from resources to trying to get followers and by followers, let's define that a little bit more too. Yep. So followers, we don't necessarily mean your core group of people. Um, They're the people who see your organization. They're like, yeah, that's cool. I can kind of support that. I'm interested in what you're doing. Um, But they're not necessarily vested, like fully vested into it. Um, What do you think of when you think of followers? When I think of followers, I think of like uh, like a church congregation. I think of a uh, a fan base. I think Mm -hmm. of this as like clientele, Mm -hmm. like your clients. Um, so, I mean, everybody wants more clients, right? You want to be able to serve more people. And so generally, a lot of times you'll put those resources into just trying to attract more followers. And the thing is with followers is that they'll say like, yes, I'm for you. Yes, I'm all about what you're doing. Yes, I'm all about whatever. But the the level of commitment isn't necessarily there. And they aren't the people who are necessarily going to go tell their friends about what you're doing. Right. And so they're really sitting there. They're interested in what you're doing, but they're watching to see if it really is going to grow and if it's something that they really want to invest their time and their money and their resources into. So you may have some followers are willing to be like, you know what, I'll throw 10 bucks at this. I'll throw 20 bucks your way one time. But getting them to move into anything beyond follower takes more than just having the resources and the vision and then trying to attract more followers. Great. So that gives us a great segue into the next piece, which is organizational strength. And this is where uh, I, where the resources really need to get put into uh, coming out of the first phase of the flywheel into the second phase of the flywheel. And things when we talk about organizational strength, they're talking about things like personal growth for you as the leader mm-hmm. or for you as y- you in your position, right? This organizational strength is also putting the right people around you. And this is kind of what Lisa was just talking about followers versus the right people. Um, We're looking at our little diagram here and they're like on opposite ends of the flywheel Mm -hmm. because they're, they're very different from each other. The right people, these are like your partners. These are the people that have skin in the game with you. Like maybe your staff or a board of uh, directors, maybe uh, an advisory board. These mm-hmm. are the people that are linked arms with you. They're the core people who, when you say, I'm going to host a fundraising event, and they ask, how can I help? And how can I actively support this? Not how can I give money, although that is a part of it. The right people are also going to pe- be the people who are vested with their resources. But their resources include their time, their energy, and their money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being able to do that. But I have to step back and go to personal growth. If you have some followers, you have a strong vision, you have the resources, and then they get close to you and realize you haven't grown as a leader to actually be able to execute on what it is that you're saying you want to do, the right people are going to see that gap and be like, hmm. It's a good idea. 
but maybe <laughs> later. May, maybe be better if you weren't there. <laughs> yeah, or <laughs> it's a it's a great idea. Maybe I can find a different organization that's doing that same thing yep. or doing something similar. And so the personal growth to the right people is so 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 important yeah because the the right people the ones that you want around you are also going to be the people who are probably the most discerning when it comes to okay who's the leader of this organization Mm -hmm. who's the person in charge are they trustworthy are they the kind of person who is going to go the extra mile who really cares about uh what this organization is trying to accomplish Um, and that moves into the right actions obviously we have the right people but they're not doing the right things that's a pretty weak organization. So it's really important to get those right actions working mm-hmm. and figuring out exactly what they are. And you might be listening to some of these things and saying like, oh my gosh, I'm, we're, we're totally, we got the right people around us. We're doing the right actions, but I could probably use some work on the personal growth side. Mm-hmm. That's a tip off that your flywheel is a little lopsided and isn't spinning as well as it could. Mm-hmm. Um, just a quick side note here. If you're looking at personal growth, especially in the area of leadership and really leading people so that you can get the right people around you, The Five Levels of Leadership by John Maxwell is such a good book. Like, Absolutely. Highly, highly, highly suggested. And then Emotional Intelligence also. Yes. Those two things together because the personal growth, if you don't have the emotional intelligence to actually interact with those people, to bring them onto your team as the right people. Um, And if you don't have the leadership ability to recognize where you're at as a leader and what type of leadership you have with people as they enter into your organization, um, that's, I mean, that's hard. It's hard to get the right people without that personal growth. And then the right action is huge because you might get the right people on board, um, but then if they say, okay, you know what? I'm signed up. I'm ready to go. I'm committed. What do you want me to do? If you either tell them the wrong thing to do or don't have anything for them to do. Or if you look at this person and you give them something to do, but it isn't linked up with their rightness, like they have a Ah, certain talent, they have a certain skill set, they have certain knowledge. And if you have them doing something that doesn't have to do with the reason why they're the right person, Mm -hmm. that's a failure on your part as well. Mm Mm-hmm. That all goes back to having to be aware of not only yourself, but the people around you and understanding what it is that they're the right person for a specific reason. Why did you bring them in as the right person? Mm -hmm. And just because someone wants to be committed, they might not be the right person for a specific role you're looking for. And so it's important to be discerning on your end, not just like you're getting the people that you want in, but because you're doing people a disservice when you plug them into a role that does not fit with who they are. Mm-hmm. And does not fit with why they originally committed to work with you. We've seen a few organizations that have really rigorous and awesome hiring procedures. That is a big piece of organizational strength because mm-hmm. you're weeding out the people who are an okay fit or even people who are a good fit mm-hmm. to say, no, I'm looking for the very specific the right person for this role in the organization. Mm -hmm. And that can be for hiring staff. It can also be for bringing on volunteers um, and raising up volunteer leaders. Because we know a lot of organizations, you will run on volunteers and your ability to bring people in who can really just contribute on that level. Maybe you're not hiring yet. But even having someone who's willing to volunteer versus having a position that you need filled, you need to be really careful about who you're putting there. Because if you have someone come in, you put them in a position that's not quite the right fit, the other right people are going to see that and wonder if you're aware and if you're able to see (laughs) strengths and weaknesses. 
And that's a big tip off that maybe there's a better organization out there to link up with. Mm-hmm. Right. Also, the the right people question, um, you know, some people are have a hard time bringing on the right people. I would say I know a lot of people who have a really hard time getting rid of the wrong people. And yeah. that's an essential piece <laughs> to this. It is. And that's hard to I mean, let's. You, can you give a couple examples of that? Because um, for our listeners, Ted ran um, a team within an organization for years, topping out at, what, 100, 150 volunteers that you were overseeing. So from your perspective or from your experience, I guess, um, what did that look like? Not just bringing in the right people, but also um, getting rid of some of the wrong people. Well, yeah. So this the context of this is I was in charge of the band at our church. We had multiple locations. And I would do the auditions, which was the hiring, quote unquote, hiring process. And the auditions, I wasn't just looking for musical skill. Like we had a guy audition one time. I, I, he's probably not listening. And even if he was, he, well, he might know who he is if I get too specific. <laughs> but um, great guitarist, like a really, really great guitarist. But like the way that he was auditioning told me like he wants to be the absolute center of this show. <laughs> and like... The guitarist isn't the center of the show here in mm-hmm. this organization. So um, I learned a lot more about this guy's uh, uh, personality. I learned a lot about, about his quirks. And I just thought to myself during that audition, yes, he's got a really high skill level. But when it comes to how he's going to mesh with the other people on the team, it's not going to go well. So mm-hmm. that was what the hiring procedure looked like. And obviously skill was a big piece of it too. When we auditioned people and they weren't qualified enough skill wise, we would encourage them to go and get some lessons or whatever to try to raise that skill level. Cause some people have like the perfect personality, like they're great. Their emotional intelligence level is really high, but they just don't have the skill. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing is it's a lot easier to teach a skill than it is to teach uh an right. attitude. <laughs> An attitude. Way easier. I will say that when you had some people come in who had that right attitude and not the skill, you would encourage them to get the skills, but then also still find a way to connect them so that they were near what was happening so that they could, so that their attitude could still be a part of the team. Right. Because the attitude has a, a lot of great benefits mm-hmm. to the team. So if you can figure out how to place that skill level in a spot where it can grow and develop a little bit over time, kind of have a shallow end of the pool for that person, but then allow them to kind of leak their good energy and their good attitude onto the other people. Uh, that's always a plus. Mm-hmm. So it's figuring out how to do that in a way. You obviously don't want to put them front and center and, and basically make a fool out of themselves by showing everybody else that they're not skilled, but you do want to leverage the the other attributes that they have in a really big way. So, uh, that leads us into the third chunk of the flywheel, which is organizational trust. Lisa, I know this is a, like a really, really big deal to you, so I'm going to let you talk about this it. This is a huge one for me. Now, individually, and I'll say this as an individual, um, when I start considering caring at all about an organization, I start here. I know some people are like, I'm willing to be a follower and just kind of check it out. I'll look at their ability to execute first. For me, I'm all about organizational trust um, because in this, I want to know that they know what they're doing, that they can show it, and that they really are doing what they say that they are doing. Um, For me, it's an absolute organizational integrity is huge. It's the integrity of the leader. It's the integrity of the people within it. It's the integrity of the structure. So within the org trust, that's where we have the systems. 
Um, having the systems in place is so important. Some people say, well, I don't really need systems because I'm not that big yet. Um, if you have the right people in place and you want them doing the right action, you have to take that right action, what you're learning, and turn it into systems. Otherwise, those right people are going to get really tired of chaos and they're not going to want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, with systems, we also have the measurable impact. Like if I'm going to consider... Um, donating money somewhere, I want all the numbers. I want to know where stuff is going. One of my favorite organizations that I found out about, um, I went to a breakfast that they were hosting and on the table, they had these huge like booklets and in it, it had all their numbers, what percentages of everything was going everywhere. And I was like, awesome, I can get behind this. We've had friends start nonprofits and I grill them. How much of your money is going to this? How is this actually making an impact? What is this doing? Is is it really fixing the issue or are you just enabling an, an underlying issue? Um, what about this? If I give you a dollar, where is it used? What impact is it making? Like, just because they're friends doesn't mean that I don't ask all the questions. Like, <laughs> That's how you're a good friend. To people. I am a good friend to people. And when they can't answer, I'm a good friend by not donating until they bring me back their statistics. <laughs> but the system's a measurable impact. And then the stories, not just having the numbers, because, yeah, there are people who want the numbers. But it's also being able to translate that into stories because sometimes we get so focused on, well, we did X, Y, and Z with the numbers, but we forget that the numbers represent people and they represent the work that you're doing and the actual um, tangible examples of, hey, this is so-and-so. We were able to meet with them and help them and their life was here. And then we brought them to this place and here's how the money was used. And here's how we actually brought them from point A to point B, and now they're on a better path. The stories are so important to building the trust. But if you only tell stories and you forget to sometimes also tell the measurable parts, then people who are super um, analysis driven kind of check out and they're like, okay, so it sounds good. It makes me feel good. But are my feelings reliable? I don't right. know. Could this just be anecdotal? And so like the measurable impact and the stories really do go hand in hand because the stories bring life and emotion and passion to the to the numbers mm -hmm. and the numbers tell you hey remember that story you just heard there are a hundred more like that yeah and uh i mean we've talked a little bit about like the nonprofit side of this a little bit too when we talk about donating or building nonprofits, but also in the in the business world right this is their this is your google reviews mm -hmm. you know the stories of the people who have used your product used your service and said hey i had a great experience and then they see that coupled with this is a large company mm -hmm. doing this much business it's like okay i can trust that um similarly let's say you're like you work for yourself doing something and you're like i want to add in some sort of cause into the business that i run like you can have the followers the vision the resources that's more from your business side at this point um that needs to grow into like personal growth the right people the right action you know at this point you're like well i kind of work for myself but having some of those systems in place being able to say you know what personally I was able to donate this much toward this thing, or I did this action that helped this person. Being able to start any sort of thing where you begin measuring your impact and then gathering stories as you're going, then soon those clients that are with you from a business perspective will start to see what you're doing from a social perspective. And then they're more likely to get on the 
bigger picture flywheel. So it's really important that you're recognizing that all of this matters altogether. And it's how you grow people from being part of the crowd into becoming kind of core people in your life and for your organization. So we have those three different pieces of the flywheel. We have the ability to execute, the organizational strength, and the organizational trust. And they really work together when you know how to transition from one of those phases into the next phase and how to leverage what you gained from one phase to build the next. Yeah. Now, before we go into the transition, I want to ask you as a listener, take a moment. Where do you currently live? Like on this flywheel, which one of these is your comfort zone? Is it your organization ability to execute? Is it your organizational strength? Or is it the organizational trust? Like remember, the execute is the followers, the vision, the resources. Is that your comfort zone? Or is it the strength, the personal growth, the right people, the right action? Or is it your organizational trust, the systems, the measurable impact, and the stories? Where is your comfort zone? And that one should be pretty clear. And then going through those three different categories, the ability to execute, the strength, and the trust, which one right now is kind of your lopsided flat tire? (laughs) It's not quite going and you recognize it's not quite working. Because you can focus on the thing that you're really good at all you want, but until you get every part beginning to function, you're always going to feel like you're getting it going for a little bit and then, and then things start to slow down and stall out a little bit. Right. And it's a it's a really, really great exercise to think about what am I great at and what am I not great at? And then start to think, how can I improve in that area and how can I bring the right people around me who can help me improve in that area as well? Because, listen, there are people out there who are great visionaries and they will admit I'm not great at systems. I hate the details. Mm -hmm. They make me want to put my head in a blender. And that's fine. That is okay. But you do need to recognize like that's not an excuse, though, to not develop good systems. Right. And and learn how to communicate the metrics. Right. And so being able to I love that you said said that, though, like recognize where you need to grow. But sometimes that growth looks like bringing the right person into that role so that they can help fill that out on your behalf. Now, you still have to value it. If you just say, oh, I have so-and-so taken care of, I'm just going to stay in my own little comfort zone, and it's totally fine. That's a problem, because if that person ever steps out, you haven't actually developed the organization in a way where it can continue. So you do need to be involved. That doesn't mean you have to be the main person championing it, um, but you do need to be consciously aware of it. And value it. Like, and I value love, I love it. What you and said value because, it. Because it's like there are people who live in the organizational strength part of the flywheel that just uh, will say like, this is all that matters and I don't really value like having a really great vision statement. As long as I have the right people around me, like the vision statement won't doesn't matter if it's great. Like I, I should have one. Mm-hmm. But no, like you need to have, you need to value it and say this is equally as important as the part that I am comfortable with. So that's when it matters to bring somebody else around you who's good at that and who knows how to help you word that vision statement clearly, knows how to communicate that well to the followers so that can lead to more resources. Yeah, and you need to not only value it internally and value it with that person, but value it publicly about that person. So if you bring someone in to handle your systems, you need like whenever someone says, oh, there's a system in place, it can't be a roll your eyes because you don't like systems. It has to be like a, yeah, they're doing a great job. Super thankful. And for I'll them. say this too, like 
usually people will feel it like they'll feel the uh, degrading of their flywheel in just a couple of these areas like they'll feel like everything's chaos and so then they'll feel like well what i need is better systems Mm-hmm. But that may have originated at a personal growth problem mm-hmm. or they'll feel it in their resources. We don't have enough capital. We don't have enough money to be able, funding to be able to do what we need to do. And so they were like, well, we'll just get more resources. Well, that might have its root in the fact that you have terrible measurable impact statistics. Mm-hmm. So you really have to you can't just say like this is our core issue and that is the thing we need to work on. Like, chances are, if you have a core issue, you're feeling it, but it is originating from any one of the, the different phases in the flywheel. Mm-hmm. And so you need to be able to look at that. And whatever you're feeling as the core issue, if you're saying, we don't have enough resources, and you just pound on that super hard, you're like, we don't have enough resources right now, so we're going to run a capital campaign. That may or may not work. But if all you have is followers and vision, and then you try and run a capital campaign, like you aren't utilizing everything that you have to actually be able to build up a powerful giving community so that you can actually run a successful capital campaign. You can run a capital campaign and beg people for money, but there's a difference (laughs) between begging people for money and having built up a community that is actually behind and driving what it is that you're doing. If you are the main engine of your organization, like trying to push it all by yourself, then that's really a community issue that it's likely you don't have the right people involved doing the right actions. And that goes back to personal growth. And what there is a, a fourth piece of this flywheel that we didn't really talk about too much. And I just want to touch on it real quick. But that at the center of it is really has to be where your passion comes from as the leader. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the, the thing that drives you personally, because if without Without something that's driving you, you're not going to be able to actually turn those bursts of energy into any of these other pieces of the flywheel. Right. You have to know what it is that drives you so that as everything else is happening, you're able to stay personally highly engaged in it and also be able to point people in the right direction and be able to say like, no, this is the vision, not just the vision for the organization, but like your own personal gut. I'm going to like, this is the thing that I'm passionate about. This is what I care about. This is who I am to my core. Because as a leader of the organization, it's super important that you're connected to it. If you feel disconnected because you're not, it's not really your thing, it's going to be a struggle, not just for you, but for everyone who wants to get on board. They're going to have a hard time getting on board. Either you're going to completely burn out or you're going to just not execute on Mm -hmm. anything. So one last thing that we want to touch on quick is how to actually connect these different pieces of the flywheel together. Now, this is something that when we do our legacy intensives with leaders, where we actually sit down and say, hey, let's look at your organization. Let's help you figure out what's going on and where your where the strengths are, what needs to be improved, like that kind of stuff. This is one of the things that we talk about. So what would you say about actually connecting the, connecting these? Well, I think, first of all, getting a good understanding and education about where those connecting points are Mm -hmm. because uh like taking the resources i mean the big question Mm -hmm. a lot of time like if you if you have an overabundance of resources which most people would say like i don't know (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's not me but this happens uh there's an there's a there's a business that i'm a part of that has an overabundance of resources and we're trying to figure out how do we leverage these right Mm -hmm. like what is the best way to use these we don't want to just like save all this money in a bank account like we want to do something smart with it right and so you have to figure out how to leverage the resources um 
then it, you know it's the last piece of each phase. You have the resources of the last is the last piece of the first phase. The right action is the last piece of the second phase. And getting turning those right actions, knowing what to do with them. What do you do with the right actions? Everything's running. Things mm-hmm. are running really, really well. Well, the right actions right now are coming from the right people. You have to think, what if this person leaves? Mm-hmm. Those right actions no longer exists exist. So we need to systemize. We need to figure out how to turn that right person into be able to make copies yep. of this so it can grow. And same with an organizational trust. Mm-hmm. Like the reason that you have great stories is because of the measurable impact. You can have great stories without measurable impact, but they're hollow. And you can kind of start to see like they're not quite something people can really grab onto. So having those stories, you need to really be able to figure out how to fine tune those stories and tell them in a way that brings on followers. And that means not having the curse of knowledge where you're telling a story and not really saying it in a way that people can actually understand. The story might mean something to you, but doesn't mean something to the person who doesn't know what you're doing. Like, how are you doing that? So it really is understanding each part of the flywheel. And you did talk about resources. Um, mm-hmm. And the thing that you are tr- that you really have to grow into next, once you have that abundance of resources, is figuring out how to bring that into personal growth. Like, if you're not growing as a leader, like, let's say you make it all the way through the flywheel. You're like, everything's working. And now your resources are increasing. If at that point, you don't continue to grow as an individual, all the resources that you have will just evaporate like mm-hmm. they will become lost you you'll either lose track of them or people will stop giving because your personal growth won't continue to increase at which point the right people who want to get involved won't get involved and things just start to deteriorate yeah and you've heard it too i'm sure the speed of the leader is the speed of the team like if you as a leader are becoming stagnant it's only a matter of time before the slide the flywheel starts to slow down Mm-hmm. And you want to continue to increase that momentum because a legacy is something that lives beyond us and continues to grow beyond us. Like our goal with our legacy, my and Lisa's legacy, is that it would continue to grow and get faster and be stronger and more powerful even after we're gone. Mm-hmm. So we have to figure out how to get this thing whirring at like such an awesome speed and strength and have systems that build the systems, you know, like <laughs> you got to think, start to think like layers deep with systems this. that build the systems that if Ted and I weren't a part of this, someone new could come in and end up being someone who could run a legacy flywheel better than we could. Absolutely. That's what we need to be looking for. And as organizational leaders, that's what you need to be looking at. How can I build this in a way, making sure that everything from ability to execute to strength to trust is being done in a way that if someone coming in with no experience who says they care about this steps in who are they becoming through the process of interacting with your organization and we we love talking one-on-one like right now we're talking you know just to each other with a bunch of listeners but we love talking one-on-one with leaders with uh different people who run parts of organizations about this stuff and if you got more questions and you want to reach out to us and just have a conversation like you can always shoot an email over to us at office at legacy builders intl.com I, had, I was like wait a minute is the <laughs> like, <forward? wait. laughs> office at legacybuildersintl.com yeah now you know with every episode we always wrap up with the same question but today we want to throw it out to you our listeners so listeners and friends uh what does the idea of building a legacy mean to you because having a legacy flywheel without knowing what your legacy is 
is kind of hard to pull off. It's sort of pointless. It's sort of pointless. So what does the idea of building a legacy mean to you? Just take a couple minutes, think about it, maybe redefine it, maybe define it further. You had an idea of what it was. Just take a little bit of time and actually think through this because building a legacy is the most valuable thing you could do with your life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And using this, what I love about the flywheel is that you get it started and over time it grows and you get to see it grow because, yeah, you're constantly growing as a person and growing the right people and growing the measurable, like you're growing all these things, but eventually the impact you're making is so far beyond what you think your legacy could be today. All right, everybody, stay tuned for next week where we talk with one of the smartest volunteer leaders that we know about building effective community. Thanks for listening to the Legacy Builders Movement. If you appreciate this podcast and find that it's valuable, the best way that you could help us is to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. To learn more about Legacy Builders, go to LegacyBuildersInternational.com. That's LegacyBuildersIntl.com. 